Whether on an aircraft carrier or in the Camp Pendleton Navy Hospital, OMT was an essential part of Dr. Paul Langevin's medical practice. He enjoys working with his hands, using auricular acupuncture, and analyzing a person's complaint from the perspective of the tensegrity model. He's ran 100-mile ultra-marathons and is known by his squadron as the Witch Doc. Enjoy the story of Dr. Paul Langevin, D.O. Well, thank you once again for being here this evening and you know, being willing to share your story about your kind of journey towards a career in, in OMM and the benefits that you've seen OMT in treating your patients. So thanks. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And so Dr. Paul Langevin, he, just a, a little bio, he graduated from medical school, um, OSUCOM in 2001. He did a master's in public health at the University of Western Florida in 2016, has postgraduate training as a flight surgeon, also training in acupuncture and global medicine. He did extensive military medicine training. Um, he's done military mountain medicine, management of chemical and biological casualties. His professional training is in family practice internship at the Navy Hospital Camp Pendleton, California. Did a residency in aerospace medicine, which I am very excited to talk to you also about at the Institute of um, the Naval Aerospace Medical Institute in Pensacola, Florida, 2014 to 2016. And then it looks like you switched residencies or, or was a continuation of residency, did a residency in occupational medicine in 2017, and then did training as well in OMT. He is the recipient of numerous awards, the recipient of the National Defense Service Medal and Armed Forces Exemplary Medal and Letter of Citation from the Commander Joint Task Force. So quite an extensive CV, Dr. Langevin, and I could go <laughs> on and on. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you for sending me that. And no problem. My pleasure. So I always like to begin the podcast just getting to know you um, a little bit more as a person after we've kind of gone through a little bit of your bio. And so I'd love to hear about things that you're interested in outside of your medical practice. Oh, okay. Um, so I used to be a runner. I used to do ultra marathons with my wife and used to do fast packing and backpacking and mountain climbing. Um, Wait, ultra marathons, how far was your farthest ultra? So race-wise, 100, 100 miles. You did 100 miles. Which race did you do? I did the Pinhoti, which is a trail race in Alabama. It's a point-to-point -point race. Oh, my gosh. That my, is... Yeah, my first attempt for a 100-miler was uh, Tour de Mont Blanc in France. Um, but I pulled out at the hundred K mark. So, okay. This wasn't the UTMB hundred yeah. mile race, was it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it, was. it was. Yeah. Oh, wow. But that was 20, that was 2005 or six. I think six. Oh, um, that's awesome. We were, we were stationed. We were living in Sicily cause I was with the Navy back then. Yeah. And, um, 
And so uh, it was my first attempt. I'd only tried one ultra marathon before that. And I, I don't think I was just mentally prepared for it. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's, that's phenomenal. I, I'm training for an Ironman right now. I'm signed up for Chattanooga, but I've always wanted to do a hundred mile ultra. So I'm going to have to ask you for some tips later. Okay. Okay. <laughs> my is the real expert in the running she's she's uh i stopped doing them a while back and she's continued and she's actually uh she's won some and she 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 knocks them out pretty regularly so really that is awesome that's fantastic well what else besides ultra ultra running i guess i guess that's something in your past anything currently that you love to do um, so I'm, I'm uh I, I got some nerve damage in a leg, so that's why I stopped running, and I really can't run anymore. So I'm, oh, I'm doing a lot of uh, powerlifting, and um, out, I, I, I like to work on my truck because it's old and cantankerous, kind of like me. <laughs> um, and uh, so I'm kind of an outdoorsy guy. I, 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 I work with my hands a lot. so that's I guess that, being from Wyoming, right? Um from a lot of different places, but we call Wyoming home. I'm currently okay. in the nation uh, still. Okay. And um, so obviously, I guess it goes, well, it goes with saying that uh, all these opinions are mine and not the Navy or the Department of Defense. Uh, sure. I guess I have to say that. Um, but I, I will be returning to the Navy when I, or back to Wyoming when I retire from the Navy next year. Okay. Fantastic. Um, so... Let's see. We talked about your hobbies outside of medicine. Do you have any book recommendations for us? Yeah, actually, I do. Um, it's an unusual uh, book. It's uh, called Pain, Dynamics, and Complexities. Uh, it's written by Daniel Doyles. That's D-O-L-E-Y-S. And he's a psychologist out of Alabama. And it is a it is a phenomenal book because he he brings you up to date on our current understanding of what pain is and how the human brain experiences and how it adapts to pain. Um, and it's it's just a wonderful book. He goes through the history of our physiological understanding of pain and then goes through all the studies and gives you a a a really good insight on our current understanding of the physiology of pain, everything from the, the, the tissue initiation of pain all the way to how the brain reacts to pain and how the brain reacts to chronic pain. Um, and so it's just, it's just wonderfully written and it really gives you a deep insight on, on our current understanding of pain, which, which frankly is lacking. Um, oh, that again, sounds like a phenomenal must read. It, yeah, it I, is. Anybody in our field that does what we do, who's who sees a lot of patients in pain, this is a mm -hmm. this is this is a must have. Yeah, I am absolutely putting that one on my list in the next. I'm going to read that in the next month. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> fantastic. Well, I really appreciate that recommendation. That's interesting that you mentioned that and you mentioned the endurance um, ultras. I was watching as I was running yesterday on the treadmill, watching Courtney DeWalter, who I'm sure you and your wife know of, you know, the best female ultra endurance athlete out there currently. I was watching her run the Western States 100 and they were interviewing her. And in one moment she says, you know, I, I kind of like pain. 
I used to fear going into the pain cave when I'd reach that whatever 50, 60 mile mark when I was just hurting so much. I used to fear that moment. But now I I can't wait to get there. And I was like, yeah. wow. Yeah. I, yeah. So I'm I'm fascinated to see what why in some why some people can do that. And others, I don't know if it's fear or for whatever reason, are not able to do that. That's fascinating to me. And and that's going to change even within that person based on the circumstances. You know, if 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 somebody is, I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm stationed on a naval air base, <laughs> and we have uh, uh, fighter jets that fly all the time. So you may hear that in the background every now and again. There's absolutely nothing I can do about that. Oh no, that's that's some great ambiance. Uh, so. So, yeah, it's, it's just fascinating, even with the same person. So she's doing something she loves and she experiences pain during this 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 time of elation. And our, uh, that's how our body responds. If we are in an emotionally good spot when pain comes along, we react differently as opposed to if we have pain and something emotionally is uh, we're suffering from some negative emotional event where, you know, pain, pain is very emotionally driven. So, yeah, that, do, that doesn't surprise me at all. That's interesting. And I'm, I'm going to keep going on this topic because I'm fascinated by it. And because it relates to our field so much, as you said, you know, they oftentimes we talk about people who do ultra endurance races, like they have a demon inside of them. They've mm-hmm. got some troubled past and they're trying to conquer something or run away from something or mm-hmm. ex- But Courtney is different in the sense that, I mean, <laughs> You know, she's had a very, seems like a very um, wholesome upbringing, um, is an extremely happy, outgoing person. She's extremely loved in the ultra endurance community. And so, I don't know, do you have thoughts about that? Um, I, everything's a bell curve. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yes, I think you're going to have a, uh, a, uh, 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 a lot of people who go into some sort of physical, extreme physical um, events, whether it be like a CrossFit, ultra marathon, triathlons, um, because they're self-medicating. And it is a very useful, positive tool um, to help with those psychiatric issues. But, but you know, there's going to be a certain percentage that they're just gifted individuals and they happen to enjoy it and they do well with it. And they're not running away from voices. You know, they're not quelling. They're not quelling the deep, dark thoughts that they have. Yeah. Um, so so I think I think on a whole, you know, you're, you're going to have a mixed bag of things. Mm-hmm. OK, yeah, well, I'm going to have to inform myself more about the, these pain dynamics by reading your book the book that you that you mentioned so thank you again um what what about dr langevin a movie or documentary Uh, that you would recommend you know i've heard your other podcasts and this is the one i kind of feared so (laughs) you know your your, your other guests are deep thinkers and you know know, i've never been confused for that so i watch movies for escapism and entertainment yeah and i really don't have anything that i want to recommend passionate about is that i will get physical with anybody that disagrees with me that die hard is a christmas movie um so 
So that, you say that, it's that, not that, a Christmas movie? No, it is a Christmas movie. Okay, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm tired of the debate. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Um, I don't know who would say that it's not. You know, there there are those people out there, and they're un-American, and that's you know that's 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 what I that's what I have to say about that. So, <laughs> but you know, and and that's me in movies. I just I just you know, some people will walk away like, Ugh. yeah predictive it was you know over the top and i'm like well it it gave me two hours of pleasure and i'm okay with that so that's right that's right you know sometimes we need just a distraction from the monotony and and the challenges of life yes yes and that's funny you mentioned that movie because the other day when we were so i'm doing my internal medicine service right now and last saturday it was kind of slow and they have a tv in the admit room and so we were actually watching die hard (laughs) <laughs> yeah well fantastic well maybe we can get into our topic and okay. i'm fascinated to learn about how you were introduced to omm um well frankly do school i um i was living in oklahoma at the time i was doing undergrad and decided I, i'd try my hand at medicine so i applied to oklahoma state and i I was, it was either going to be the MD school or the DO school. And I didn't know what a DO was at the time, kind of heard about them and what little poor research I did. Um, I heard that they do something with their hands to help people feel better not just the medication. They looked at the person as a whole and I thought that sounded cool. So I applied to the DO school and not the MD school and got accepted and um, still went in pretty blind. And then my first year, um, uh, Kenneth Graham, John Glover, Mary Mills, uh, they're all the DO, the manipulation instructors that year. And um, they sold me fast and hard. And so I really delved into the OMM labs and the, and, and the study of it and really just fell in love with it from the first class on. And I was one of the few percent, I would, you know, there was probably about four, five, six of us that were um, in the OMM lab all the time, just talking about it. You know, I joined mm-hmm. student organization, uh, uh, student AAO, and um, yeah. and it was just, you know, I just, I just loved it. Um, I did my, I did as many electives as I could in it. There was at the time a study group in Oklahoma City which was a bit of a drive, but it, it wasn't a big deal for me um, that they went over um, Thomas Spies's ligamentous articular strain series. Okay. And um, these are guys that worked with uh, Dr. Spies and they, they practiced this in their, in their practice. And it was just a study group. You get together one night and it was like one or two nights a month and they taught and we talked and it was just, it was a wonderful time. And um, I went to, the went to a couple of convocations while I was a student and um, yeah, I was sold. I was, I was yeah. a firm believer from the beginning. So, so was there anything in your upbringing? I mean, why, why do you think you were, you know, five out of however many when your class 200 that were immediately attracted to this? Was there something in your, I don't know, in your upbringing as a child or in your youth or uh, you just more hands-on? 
I think it was more hands-on and we're a small, we, at the time, I don't know what they are now, but we're a small school. We only had like 80, 88 people in my class. Um, so I, I'm a very hands-on person. Um, I am mechanically gifted. So mechanical things make sense to me. The way things move makes sense to me. The way things are built makes sense to me. And it's, it's just second nature to me. Um, and it, I think, I think that's what really, really kind of captured me. And, and, you know, I've, I've done plenty of family practice and emergency medicine and all types of other types of things. And I've prescribed plenty of medications that doesn't, it is part of the job. It does not interest me. Mm -hmm. Um, doing manipulation and now, you know, I've been doing acupuncture for about six, seven years now doing that and then getting a response um, interests me. And then I see OMM as nuanced medicine. Okay. There's not a lot of nuance in diagnosing and then initially managing hypertension. You have a few drugs you choose from and you put them on that and you fix your numbers. Solving somebody, somebody's somatic dysfunction and physical complaint or, or balancing their, you know, helping them achieve homeostasis with your hands and your mind is very nuanced to me. And that's, that's a, that's a puzzle I like putting together with the patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. When you, when you say, when you say nuanced, what exactly do you mean by that word? <clears throat> trying to come up with the best plan and put the entire picture together to help the patient achieve their maximal health benefit or potential is probably a better term. So it's not just me moving, moving tissue around, helping them. It's also me working with them as what's causing this or um, what are the limitations? What are they doing that's contributing to their, um, their the state that they're in? You know, is it, mm-hmm. you know, trying to figure that out? What, what aspect of the lifestyle, their occupation, their habits, their past, trying to fix that? If it's just something is, is you know, I, I deal with a lot of aviators. And so, well, I'm in a fighter jet and I get launched from an aircraft carrier and then, and then I land on this, get caught by this cable and I do this about a thousand times and my back hurts. That's pretty simple. So, you know, working with them and trying to help them get to a point where their back start stops hurting and they're able to do their things is, 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 um, is beneficial and fairly easy to achieve. Um, but, but the nuance of trying to put everything together for the patient and help them achieve their best potential is, 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 is really what I, what I enjoy. I don't know if I answered your nuanced question or not with that. Yeah, I think you did. I think you did. And I want to follow up with that. So it sounds like you're a hands-on learner. You tend to, your mind thinks in kind of a a mechanical pattern, mechanical patterns. And so is that, is that kind of your approach, would you say, kind of a biomechanical approach versus a biodynamic, more energetic approach, which some people in our field 
you know, do, do take? Was um, it a combination? I, I, I don't really see a difference. Um, you know, when you, when you follow the biotensegrity model of, of how we work in the, in the fascia and, and, and the fascia is just fascinating to me. There, there's a certain amount of energy in the system and is it flowing appropriately? And that, that, that's as mechanical, that's as mechanical as you can get as well. You know, Mm -hmm. every system has a certain amount of, of uh, mechanical stress in it and mechanical design to it. And is there something abnormal? Did something happen to it that it's not that, that that's causing it not to work well. Um, So, um, so I don't really see a big distinction between the two. I see. Okay. And so when you're approaching a patient, do you have go-to OMT techniques that you use or, or not? Um, it, it really comes down to, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. Because you mentioned, you know, balanced ligamentous tension. So I'm wondering, is that something that a technique that you like to use frequently on your patients? It, it is. Uh, I'm a big FDM guy. Um, I, uh, I met Topaldos a long time ago when I was a student and got pretty interested in that. Didn't really understand it or grasp it well back then. Not that I grasped many things back then. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I do a lot of muscle energy. I do a lot of strain counter strain, uh, ligamentous articular strain. I do cranial. I, as a matter of fact, I just recently took another basic cranial course because um, it's been a while since I took one and I just feel like my hands had kind of turned into oven mitts. And so I'd want to <laughs> um, get back into that game. So, so there, it, it really comes down to when I talk to the patient and I get an idea of what's bothering them. If they're giving <laughs> me clear body language, I may go to FDM or ligaments articular strain uh, pretty quickly. If it's more nebulous, then I may go to something else and just do like a zinc examination from, from foot feet all the way up. So. Okay. So maybe we can talk a little bit more about the fascial distortion model. I rotated my third and fourth year medical school up in Fairbanks with Dr. Capistran and Dr. Rebar Uh and really fell in love. I would say that's really where I fell in love with OMM actually and OMT and the fascial distortion model. Um, just seeing their clinic, how busy it was, and how many people got so much, you know, quick benefit from this actually pretty painful treatment. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is it about fascia and the fascial distortion model that is attractive to you? Well, I think I think it explains why something is 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 bothering somebody, and in a I may make some people upset with this, but I don't know of another, there's no other really model out there. They'll tell you something is out. Okay. So you're going to do something, you're going to do muscle energy and this segment is flex side bent rotated, right. Okay. But they don't tell you why it's out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Same thing with cranial. This is side bent and rotated. Okay. And I, I understand people are going to disagree with me with on this and I'm fine with that. Sure. But, but, but why is it that way? The fascial distortion model tells you why it is. It kind of explains it, why, why something is. There's, there's, there, there, there's, 
a distortion in that fascia and it's causing this discomfort and the patient is telling you, you just need to listen to the patient. And so um, the FDM is probably 75, 80% of my practice. But the thing is, is I see FDM in everything. I see FDM in muscle energy. I see FDM in strain, counter strain. Um, it can, it can apply to, to a whole bunch of different things. It's a model. Um, and that's the beauty of a model is, is, is it's flexible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That took me a while to grasp, I think wrap my head around. And I think I'm still trying to wrap my head around is that I kept asking Dr. Rebar. So, um, you know, what do you, what do you mean that FDM is a model? She's like, well, anytime I'm treating a patient, I'm thinking in the FDM model. So when I'm doing, like you just said, muscle energy, I'm thinking about how that's altering the fascial strains. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, so that's 80% of your practice. Uh, yes. Yes. Hmm. And are you primarily, so you're primarily working on um, men and women in the service. I only see active duty members. Active duty members. Okay. I, I am what's called an operational physician. And that's all I've ever done. I don't really work for a hospital. Um, my commanding officers have been either squadron, uh, battalion COs. I was, an air, I was a senior medical officer on an aircraft carrier. Um, and I'm a wing surgeon now. So, so I, don't, I don't belong to the hospital. They provide me a, an office to work in at the clinic. Um, but I see strictly active duty people. I see. Do you think that there's a certain population that just respond better to FDM? Because I mean, up in Alaska, I mean, that they're pretty hardy folk, you know, I mean, they're pretty independent. It's a harsh climate. They're just tough people. And I've always wondered, Hmm, you know, is it, is it kind of a more rugged, tough person that, that, can take the FDM and responds well to the FDM, or is this something that can just be globally used? Um, that's a really good question. Y- you're right. Alaska has an environmental bias to it. And <laughs> yeah. there, there's, there's a certain, a certain cadre of people that will go there. I, I think, I think there is going to be a population that will not respond well because they cannot tolerate certain procedures within the FDM world. Um, and that may bias them away from that type of treatment. Would they benefit? They might, but they, some people cannot get over somebody inducing pain onto them. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this plenty of time, even in my active duty population that helped me, but it hurt and it's not worth it to me. I see. Um, And so it's not going to help them if I can't do it to them. <laughs> so uh, would they respond? They might. I don't know. Um, but, but they're not willing to tolerate. Or what I get sometimes is I've heard what you do and I don't want any of that. Okay, well, there's other things I can do. And then I try muscle energy or strain, counter strain, or you look know, at in this articular strain. I don't, I don't, I, you know, I stay away from like trigger bands and things like that on those people. And I mm-hmm. kind of get results and I'm thinking to myself, you know what, this you know what this really needs is a good thumb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I can't cause they don't want that. So, so yeah, there's, there's going to be some natural selection there. Do you think, I mean, so you're a person that has endured a lot of pain. 
and you seem to embrace pain. I mean, who else, if you didn't embrace pain, there's no way you would run a hundred mile race. Do you think your embracing of pain, I don't want to use the word bias, but I don't know what other word to use. Um, or may, do you think that attracts you more to the FDM model or no? No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Okay. I, I like okay. using things that work and I find that it works very, very you just well. find it's just very efficient yeah. in getting people better. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, um, where do we go from here? Dr. Langevin? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, we, quite a bit, didn't we? we did. That was fascinating. I love talking about FDM. Um, how, maybe we could talk a little bit about how you got into the service Oh, and, wow. That's and, and, you know, your OM, your OMM experience there in the service. Maybe we can go a little deeper into that. Oh, okay. Well, that, that is a convoluted story. Uh, okay. So, um, okay. How to gently put this. Okay. So I was a horrible, horrible student in 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 high school okay mm -hmm. i did not i did not want to be there it did not interest me i would rather work and i had a couple jobs and i think they passed me because they just wanted to get rid of me and i'm not i'm really not joking um so i knew that school wasn't for me and so i enlisted in the navy and this would have been back in the 80s and Hold on, there's a really low flying jet going by. Actually, that wasn't too bad. He was pretty high. Um, so, so I knew I wasn't going to go off to college because it would have been a waste of time because I really disliked school. And so I joined, I enlisted in the Navy back in 1987. And I remember very distinctly some of my high school teachers saying, that's a good choice. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, so I enlisted in the Navy. I did my four years. Um, I enjoyed it for the most part, but I knew it was only for four years because in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, I really need to go to school. I didn't know what I was going to go to school for, but I really needed to go to school. Mm -hmm. So, um, I got out of the Navy, did construction for a bit. Um, cause I was a little afraid. I was very hesitant. I was like, wow, I really hated high school and I didn't do well. What am I going to do in college? And then, um, the, you know, I started taking a couple classes and I actually really enjoyed it. And I think it was the fact that I could choose what I wanted to study. Yeah, and I can I, see that. That was, that was the entire world. And so I actually did really well in college because, oh, wow, I like this. I'm going to do this. And so I, I majored mainly in chemistry and I actually worked as an analytical chemist for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and then I decided to try medical school. And then when I got accepted, there was no way I was paying that bill. That was ridiculous. So, <laughs> why, why, why did you choose medical school? What was it about medicine that attracted you? Um, you know, that's a hard question for me. To, it, it was interesting. There's, you know, I did, I, I did not grow up wanting to be a doctor. My dad was an electrician. My mom didn't finish college. Um, they were both high school dropouts, but my mom went back to school in her 40s and then became a nurse. But even then, I didn't even think about going in the medical field. Mm -hmm. Um so I, I honestly don't know. It was interesting to me. Okay. And that's why I only applied to the one school. So, um, wow. And you got in. 
Yeah, well, my, my, my scores were good, so. Yeah. Um, but I've always been interested in science. Uh, I was, as I said, I was a chemist, and I loved it. Um, and I shipped gears into medicine. So, um, so I applied for a scholarship because I didn't want to pay for medical school. And I, <laughs> I was in the Navy before, so I might as well try the Navy now. So, Can I ask you how much medical school cost back then? Well, actually, OSU... And I just looked at it recently because I, I it was it, I, I was curious on how much it cost, but um, per year for OSU is nine grand. Oh my gosh! And this is in the late eighties, early nineties. No, no, in, uh, late nineties, early. Th- uh, so ninety seven to two thousand one was when I was in medical school. Ninety seven, two thousand one. Nine. Yeah, and it's really not much more expensive. I think it's only like twenty grand a year now. Wow! I should have gone to medical school there. Yeah, Oklahoma State is 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 well I, the the. Oklahoma State and OU, University of Oklahoma, are very reasonably placed uh, uh, colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you get a really solid education there. So, sure. Um, so, so, you yeah, didn't want so to pay for medical school. Yeah. Yeah. So, I did a Navy scholarship, did my internship with the Navy, um, and then uh, went off and did flight surgery training. Yeah. How. So going back to your internship, are there any crazy stories from internship that you want to share? And if not, that's fine. So it was, it was, um, uh, so this was before the 80 hour rule. And so we averaged a hundred because they actually calculated it, uh, for us. And I was kind of always in the middle of the pack. Um, uh, Dave, I can't remember his last name. He was always the guy that got the most calls and the most hours. But we, I think I was averaging like 124 hours a week. Oh my goodness. And I did 122 calls for the year. <laughs> um, and, um, but you, you learn a lot. Yes, you're tired, you're exhausted. And there's something to be said about that. But you saw a lot of pathology. Mm-hmm. Uh, we delivered a lot of babies there. It was Camp Pendleton Marine Corps Base, and those Marines they like to make babies, so they we were busy, <laughs> busy labor deck. Um, yeah, and, uh, there's a huge retirement population, so our internal medicine rotations were good because we had an old population. Sure, uh, a lot of them from the Vietnam era. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was just it was a busy, busy time, and this was during 9/11. So I was an internship driving to the hospital when 9/11 occurred. Wow. And back then, it was kind of rare for you to go straight through um, to do full residency. Typically, you did your internship, and mm-hmm. then you went off and you did uh, either general medical officer, um, you went flight surgeon, or you went um, dive medicine officer. Okay. And so they offered me to stay straight through to do the family practice residency, but um, that's not what I want to do. I want to go do flight surgery. So that's what I chose. Yeah. How was that experience? It was good. It was good. Um, And were you, were you using OMM in any, during your intern year or during flight surgery? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I was the intern that they always sent people to, even the, even the faculty would come and whisper like, Hey, can you work on my back? Um, (laughs) Or uh, actually a couple patients, inpatients, they, I got consulted. Hey, um, you know, I wasn't on the family practice inpatient service, but they, 
hey, we have this person with this pain. We Everything's negative. Go check them out. And so I checked them out, do some manipulation. Pain was gone. And they're like, okay, well, that was a waste of money. <laughs> um, so, so no, I actually did quite a, a bit of OMM um, during internship. And then uh, uh, flight surgery, I got stationed with a helicopter squadron out of Sicily for three years. Where in Sicily were you? Um, so it's a base called Siganella. It's uh, near um, Catania. Catania, so you're on the northeastern side. Northeastern side. Um, and that's where I started my ultra marathon training was running around Mount Etna with some. Oh, friends. yeah, yeah, yeah. So and my wife and I got to go up to one of the lava flows. And that was just I have great photos of that. That was just a great. Neat. Run. Neat. Um, and so. So we um, we were stationed out of there and we worked all over Europe, parts of Africa. And I did a lot of OMM, a lot of OMM. And that's where I got my call sign. My call sign's witch doctor. <laughs> and so wait why uh, why did they why did they come up with witch doctor it was just weird to them okay well you're gonna do this weird thing and i'm gonna feel they, better and then i'm gonna leave so that's that's kind of what they come up with so huh. you, so unlike the movie top gun it, it's really it's rarely something cool and you do not get a choice in your in your in your call sign oh wow so who who makes the call sign the the squadron does the, as, squadron. As the, the, the officers in the in the in in the squadron come up with what your call sign is going to be and if you, ha- if you have an, an embarrassing moment it's going to be your call sign <laughs> so, so I mean, witch not doctor's like, not that bad no no it's fine and i was it was it was it was witch doctor or voodoo priestess <laughs> I think I'd take Witch Doctor. And so and so they have this thing called Black Friday where we kind of get together and that's where they determine what your call sign is going to be. And the commanding officer was like, well, Doc's going to be doing my flight physical next month. So which one do you want, Doc? And I go, I'll take Witch Doctor instead of Voodoo Priestess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That so, yeah. Funny. And um, so I would I did a lot of manipulation and it almost became like a spectator event because like a pilot would come in with three other guys. Hey, doc, can you work on my back? I'm like, yeah, okay. I got time. Okay. These guys want to watch. I'm like, we really can't do that. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. And so, um, that's just military hanger mentality. So sure. Sure. So question for you, this has always been a challenge for me. And it's part of my quality improvement project for inpatient OMM is how, how do we best explain to our patients what we're doing? Because I feel like it's very, it's very challenging. How do you do that? Or do you not? Because I know physicians who's, who say, you know what, I'm going to treat the patient. And if they have questions about what I do, then they can ask me. But I'm not going to explain. Um, my quick verbiage is I'm going to use my hands to help find what's possibly wrong within your body i kind of work on the muscles and the tissue called fascia because people don't understand what fascia is mm-hmm. um well let's be honest we don't know what fascia is but anyway. <laughs> we're, we're, we're still learning yes um so i'm going to use my hands to help find issues within your body that are more um mechanical and maybe affecting you in in different ways and what i do is i kind of help readjust that and then let your body heal itself 
Um, it's not a good explanation. And you're right. It's, it's difficult to, to, to explain. Yeah. And, you know, I, sometimes I'm embarrassed because I have my fellow physician or not my attendings on a different service. When I was on ICU, they come up and ask me, so Ben, what residency are you in? And I'll say osteopathic neuromusculoskeletal medicine. Well, what exactly do you do? And then I'm just like, uh, uh, and I'm struggling for an explanation. You yeah. know, and um, I believe in the work that we do and I love the work that we do. And I really, one of my big goals this year in residency is try to better understand and be better at explaining what we do. Yeah, um, I don't think there's no good boilerplate <laughs> explanation that, that, um, that I've heard that really succinctly it's too much of a discussion. Do you think there should be, or no. do you think there never will? I, I don't, I don't think it's important. Okay. I think, I think uh, our work speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the curious will seek us and um, you know, and what we try to do is, is just maximize the potential that the, that the body has for that person. That's right. That's um, right. And, and this goes back to the, the more nuanced you're thinking, the harder it is to explain. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. That's an interesting way to put it. Okay, Dr. Langevin. Well, we can stop that tangent because I took us on a tangent here. We can go <laughs> back to, to flight school or a flight surgeon. Sorry. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. And so you were treating, you were treating the... Um, the other people in your, I guess, squadron. Yeah. In my um, squadron. And then if we went somewhere, if we did it out and they wanted me to go, cause I didn't go on all. This. So a debt is where you send a crew, a couple, a couple of aircraft to a location where they, where the military or somebody needs you. Mm-hmm. So we could go. So like one debt, I went to Istanbul and to do presidential support. Another debt, I went to Bucharest to do, um, uh, secretary of defense support. And so you'll bring pilots and mechanics and you'll fly the aircraft there. And so I'll throw my manipulation table in and I'll work on people if they need it while I'm there. And I'll also use the manipulation table for standard medical stuff. You know, if somebody comes in with a cold, I have all my stuff there that I bring with me and treat them and then go from there. That's cool. So your OM, your OMT table has just been all over the world. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, that one um, uh, it didn't make a, a move <laughs> and it got busted. Uh, but yes, that, that one saw a few continents. That's for sure. That's cool. That's super cool. And so I know acupuncture is also a part of your practice. How did you get into acupuncture and why? Uh, so it was always interesting. Uh, it was always interesting to me acupuncture in itself and i don't know why it was i've never really been exposed to it and you know in medical school i remember asking well what, how's this compared to acupuncture oh this is much better than acupuncture I'm like okay <laughs> you don't want to talk about it i get it <laughs> um so i always just wanted to take the course and just kind of see for myself okay mm-hmm. um and before I took a course in it, um, I was reading on it and, it, you know, the, I was being the way I am mechanically, Chinese medicine doesn't jive with me. So 
it, it, I lose interest in it quickly. Let's just say that. So um, I chose a different type of acupuncture course. It's called neurofunctional acupuncture, and it's out of um, McMaster's okay. uh, University up in Canada. Oh, interesting. And, and it's a it's a 300 hour uh, acupuncture course like Helms or the Harvard course. Um, but they, they use it to stimulate certain neuromuscular issues. And so it does, they, they do kind of follow the Chinese, um, acupuncture points, but instead of following the meridian channels and trying to, uh, reestablish chi and the, and the proper flow of chi, it's more of a neuroanatomical, okay, I'm going to work on the shoulder. These are the points I'm going to use to help this pain or this dysfunction. And it's a pretty good model. It, it works well. And a lot of people have success with it. Um, but as I was doing more and more manipulation, I'm sorry, that one passed by. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great ambiance. I like it. Um, I just felt like it didn't really, I was having a hard time complimenting it with the OMM. And I just didn't want to be a strict acupuncturist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was kind of fumbling around with it and there's certain things that I do with it that I add to my OMM, but then I started studying auricular acupuncture, acupuncture of the ear. Um, the military has a, uh, a certain program called BFA. It's called battlefield acupuncture. And I took the course and it was interesting. It's like a three, it's not long. It's a three hour course. And it's very, it's very programmatic it's it's very put needle here does patient get better yes or no okay if they get better put needle Mm. here now yeah so it's and and it's anatomically mapped out and it works well there's actually some really good randomized control studies out there that demonstrated that it's it's uh works very well and i've had personally really good success with it okay i've taken people that would come in um so like my I checked in on board. I was a senior medical officer for the USS Nimitz, an aircraft carrier. Okay. Uh, I uh, had to fly out to the Persian Gulf to um, meet them for deployment when I checked on board. And so um, they had a, um, an enlisted guy who was powerlifting and hurt his back like two weeks before I got there. And he was locked up. He was one of those guys that would walk really rigid and take very small steps. Okay. And he was in severe amount of pain. He was like this for two weeks. And they were throwing, I mean, he was even on Valium um, wow. for muscle relaxing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they don't give a lot, we don't give a lot of narcotics on the ship, especially out at sea. It's just too dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he got a couple of few Tordal shots and nothing was touching his pain. And I was still checking in. So I was still a little lost and I was taking, so when you're senior medical officer, you're, you're the boss of the medical department. So you have between the ships, the air wing and the aircraft carrier, you're looking at taking care of over 7,000 people. You have five, six doctors working for you and you're just basically running a hospital on a ship in the middle of nowhere. And this is what you were. This, I was the senior medical officer. I was the, I was the grand poopa of the medical department. Wow. So, so, so I'm, I'm, so the guy comes in and he's, he's obviously in a lot of pain and I'm like, Hey, uh, I'm going to put some needles in your ear and we're going to see if this helps your pain. Okay. He's like, okay, just do whatever. 
And because um, he was obviously in a lot of discomfort and apparently had been like this for two weeks. And so I stick one needle in his ear. And he looks at me and he uses some very bad language, <laughs> gets up, bends over, touches his toes, flexes, extends. He rotates us. He's like 90 percent of my pain is gone. And he was just dumb. He's like, I wasn't expecting that to work. I'm like, well, that, you know, a lot of people don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm dumbfounded hearing that story. So, so then I put in this, a couple needles and I'd never saw the guy. I, I'd only see him around the ship as I'd walk around. Because an aircraft carrier you're talking about when uh, you're talking about 5,300 people. So I'll occasionally run on a, run into him. So, I mean, do, do we have an explanation for what happened? Well, it's it's a very effective treatment. Um, so, uh, well, here let, let me let me just tell you a little bit more, and then we'll kind of get into sure, it. sure. So, so the BFA, as I said, is very programmatic. But having studied acupuncture, it it had to be more than that. And so I started reading up more on ear acupuncture. And there are certain microsystems out there. Okay, there's Korean hand acupuncture where you basically treat the entire body on the hand. And there's actually some points on there that I treat people. Um, and the ear itself is a, is a, is a microsystem that represents the entire body. Okay. Interesting. And it, was, it was actually developed by a Frenchman. It was not developed by the Chinese. So <laughs> uh, back in the fifties, a, a, a French physician by the name of Paul Nogier um, started doing this and then started. And so as I read more up on started working on that and then developing my own system where I could identify it's not anatomically driven. I actually tried to identify the active acupuncture points on the ear. And then I, I put the needle, I put the needle in there and I'm getting really, really good results. And so not only am I treating pain, but I've treat uh, TBIs. I treat anxiety, depression. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, so developed a course for it uh, that, that uh, I'm going to start teaching. Oh man, I'm gonna have to sign up. So say that again about the ear. You said it's a map. It's an anatomical neuroanatomical map of the whole body. So yes, there is a, there. So like there's a homunculus, there's a homunculus on the ear and it represents mm -hmm. the entire body. Okay. <laughs> and so certain points that correspond to the body on the ear. And it's just a matter of reading that map and then taking the patient's history and symptomatology and treating the appropriate points on the ear. Um, and what I do is I, I don't anatomically stick the needle in. I actually take a little probe and I find an active point, which will be represented in, in these little tender spots. And so I find the tender spot and I put the, that's where I put the needle. Is that right? Just with the probe, is this tender? If it's tender, boom, yes, needle. Yes. So, so basically, I I uh, I take a dental tool called a burnisher. You know those little round dental tools, not the yeah. pins, but the round ones. Yes. I take that. It's very smooth, and I show the patient on their arm how hard I'm pushing. And I'm not pushing hard. They're like, "Well, my ear doesn't hurt." I'm like, "That's not the point." <laughs> <laughs> I will find the tender spots, and that's 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 where I treat. And it it doesn't work for everybody. It, mm -hmm. Um. The studies show that about 80 to 90% of the people are susceptible to this form of therapy. Hmm. And, and I can tell within a couple needles, whether it's going to be beneficial or not. And it's instantaneous. 
and I'm not joking, it is instantaneous. Um, I actually taught this to the people up in Fairbanks, uh, Dr. Cap Stratton Rebar, and a couple of their other partners. They actually use this quite regularly in their clinic. Oh, did you go up to Fairbanks and teach them? No, we did virtual. I don't okay. think virtual, but I we did it virtually. And um, <laughs> Was that and, in the last year and a half? Because I remember coming home from the hospital one day in Fairbanks, and Dr. Rebar, I'm like, well, did you get some new piercing? She says, no, I just went to an auricular acupuncture class. That, that, that was what I taught them, yes. Okay, okay. So yeah, that, that was this past January, I believe. Yeah, that sounds about right. And so, um, so, uh, so by, by taking that burnisher and then, and I, I kind of give you a map of where to look, but, you, but I want you to pinpoint that best spot and that's where you're going to put the needle and, and, and it's instantaneous people. If it's going to benefit them, they're going to know right away. It's not going to take all the way away, all the pain, but you're going to see it quickly that they, that they feel significantly better. Um, and there's other pro, uh, programs. I have like a chronic headache program. I have a, a PTSD anxiety program. And I even, I even developed a uh, motion sickness because um, believe it or not, there are a few people in the Navy that get seasick. <laughs> and so I, I developed it because there was this lawyer and she was uh, she just checked on board and she's like, oh, I got to go to one of the small ships, a destroyer in our in our strike group. She goes, I hate those. I get really, really sick. And she goes, I get violently sick. And so I, I read. So she was going to leave the next day. So that night I read up on the books, kind of found a few points and I, I, I treated her and she came back and she's like, I didn't feel a single thing. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so it's very helpful for her. So these, you've developed these techniques for TBI headache. Um, I borrowed. So, so other people have developed a certain technique. I help you. Per, I, I kind of. I think I perfected them a little bit better. I see. So, so I didn't come up. I didn't come up with them. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not Lewis and Clark here. I didn't discover anything. I'm. I'm <laughs> I. I am. I'm helping you find the points better and then quickly. And, and, and I kind of geared this towards the busy clinician. So it doesn't only OMM your standard family practitioner. Cause it literally takes two or three minutes to perform this. Okay. In your it's, office. Okay. So my question then is when would you choose to do auricular acupuncture instead of an OMT procedure? Um, I, I don't choose. I, I, I'm as I'm doing this more and more, they they typically get both. Really? Because the acupuncture I'm 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 not exaggerating. I, I can do the acupuncture in literally four minutes. Okay, and then how long are these are the acupuncture needles in their ear for? That it varies, doesn't it? It it, it kind of varies. So these are uh, not your typical acupuncture needles. These are called um, they're ASP, they're they're made in France. They're called semi-permanent needles. And so after you put them in, as our skin grows, as it does, it literally pushes the needle out. So depending on the placement, the needle could be in there for two day, two hours, or it could fall out in 10 days. Okay. So you put the needle in and they walk out with the needles in. Right. Like I saw Dr. Rebar with like exactly. four needles in her ear. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. I'm going to have to... Gosh, you've given me so much food for thought and things to study, <laughs> yeah. Dr. Langevin. So 
Well, just imagine my mind. I'm, <laughs> I'm <laughs> trying to piece it all together. And that, that's what I love about it. It's a puzzle to me. Yeah. And so you're planning, you're retiring from the military mm-hmm. at the end of this year. Um, uh, middle of next year. I, sh- I should be leaving, driving away back home to Wyoming in May. In May, May of yeah. next year. Mm-hmm. And you'll be starting your own practice. Is it going to be OMT acupuncture practice? Or you can also include, you know, some family medicine as no. well? Or... No, no, I am, I am. I have a strong desire to deinstitutionalize my life. Um, so it is going to be strictly OMM with acupuncture and it's going to be a, uh, I'm going to follow the micro practice model of just me, literally just me. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Me and me in an office and try to utilize as much technology as possible for like patient scheduling and, um, and, and, um, just patient management. So. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear how your practice develops. Um, where, where will you be going to in Wyoming? Uh, it's in Western Wyoming. It's in a region called Star Valley. It's a little slice of heaven. It's about 50 miles south of Jackson, Wyoming. Oh, yes. I know Jackson very well. So if you go south of there, and it's on the Idaho border, you have where the Snake, the Gray, and the Salt River all meet. You have Alpine. And then if you go further south in that valley, you have Thane and then Afton. Let's see. Um, where are you relative to Victor from Victor? So Victor is, 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 is pretty far, is about an hour and a half south of there. But you, okay. have to go over a couple, you have to go over some mountain ranges to get there. So there's no direct road from Victor to the Star Valley. You have to go through Jackson or you have to go towards Idaho Falls. Okay. That is a piece of God's country. There is no doubt about it. Yes. One of my favorite places um, when I was doing a bike race on the Continental Divide was Union Pass. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely phenomenal. Mosquito Lake was not very phenomenal because it lived up to its name. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful area. Well, I'm I'm very excited for you, Dr. Langevin. Um, we're coming up on an hour. I feel like there's so much more that we haven't talked about that we could, but I don't want to take advantage of you being so generous with your time. Oh, no, it's, it's been my pleasure. But yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story about how you fell in love with OMT, the stories about the military, the book recommendations, and I wish you all the best with um, finishing up your career in the, in the Navy and starting your own private practice. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much. You have a great evening. Thank you. You as well. What an incredible story Dr. Langevin told with fighter jets flying over his head. Pain dynamics, the tensegrity model, and auricular acupuncture were all areas of our conversation that sparked my interest and topics I will look into further. Hope you enjoyed. Please go on the episode website and ask any questions you may have. See you in the next episode.